I'm the loud. I'm the loud guy. That's good. We want loud. I'm the loud mouth. <laughs> My voice does the. As, the I, as I think we established in an earlier podcast, my voice is tiny. That's Josh has a tiny yeah. voice when he talks. If you look at the sound waves, my right. voice is like that. <laughs> anyway, all right. Whenever you're ready. Welcome to another edition of Practically Theologians, where we focus on making theology practical. We are recording from the Sangre de Cristo Seminary, and today we are very privileged to have with us Dr. Dwight Zeller and his wife, Lois. My name is Andrew, and Josh is doing the recording today. And the reason that we are so privileged to have Dr. Dwight and Lois here with us is because they've been here since the beginning. In 1972, they started building the the structures for the seminary. And in 1976, these two helped establish the Sangre de Cristo Seminary. And Dwight has been very adamant that Lois played a critical role in making sure that the seminary could come to pass. Uh, And now, today, as students, and we've been putting together this podcast over the last several weeks, we are reaping the benefits of the work that God has done, the fruit that He has uh, caused to grow through their works. And so we are going to talk a little bit about the challenges and why this seminary was started, and then uh, just kind of get some thoughts on uh, some different advice, maybe some different insights that um, Dr. Dwight and uh, Lois will um, be willing to share with us. So uh, to begin with, Dwight, why did you guys see it necessary or why did you desire to start this seminary in particular? Well, we desired to start this seminary so that students could have a foundation to understand both the Old Testament and New Testament the best you can in their original languages. This was recorded before the interview officially started. We thought we would include it to give a better context for the beginning of the seminary. We hope you enjoy. It was in Pueblo, and also from Lois's father. Her father had bought a strip of land in here, which was divided into lots, and he didn't want to keep it, and we bought it from him, and then uh, from Dr. Bramer, and then there were about three other little lots that we bought separately. Who, uh, this would be part of the introduction, but, um, so it was you and who else was involved in putting it together? The seminary? Yeah. That woman over there. Yeah. Lois? The woman who now gave us me, old God. (laughs) I can remember if it was you and and your brother that. No. So he My brother and I had started Horn Creek. We bought land up there in 1950. And um, 160 acres up there, and I went. I, went, I then finished um, seminary and went into the Navy in 1954. Get to get as a chaplain to get enough money to get this place going up here, and he stayed with it 
and we supported it heavily each month. In fact, we didn't even have electricity up here. It took us five years to pay off getting electricity up there. Wow. And um, the idea was that uh, I'd work, stay in the Navy long enough to get things going and get out, and then we'd run the place together. But I became more interested in seminary than in uh, camp for families and kids. Um, how did that happen? About 1962, I'd been in the Navy about eight years, seven or eight years, and I was not pleased with the way my ministry was going. Um, but, and I knew I had to do something. It wasn't a theological matter. It was just simply a matter of I was not pleased and I remember two teachers I'd had in college. One was a Baptist, and the other was a Presbyterian in Greek. And these were both good, very good Greek teachers. But that college, that was, that was 12, 13 years before that. And so I decided I had to get back to the languages, and I, I couldn't give you the first five letters of the Greek alphabet. When you started it? When, when I restarted it. I mean, oh, yes. Yeah, so when I, I restarted it, yeah. it you know, when I was 32. And uh, so I made up my mind I was going to really learn Greek again. And uh, so I got books, and I started a program every day for twi 12 years. Uh, that I was working, I would start studying at 5.30 to 9.30 every day. Uh, after doing that for about about two, two to three years, I went up to Korea. We were stationed in Guam. I went up to Korea to uh, uh, get adopted child, which I did. And uh, a friend of mine, Al Sneller, who was buried right over here in the valley, he gave me a textbook for learning Hebrew by R. Laird Harris. It had been, it was in English, but it had been printed in Korea. Very poor print job. <laughs> and uh, so he gave it to me. And I just incorporated it in my study every day. And uh, I'd never taken Hebrew in college or seminary. And uh, so I studied for a couple years in Hebrew. And then I asked for a month off from the Navy between my duties in Guam and uh, going to Great Lakes to take a very intensive course in, uh, I thought, beginning Hebrew. And I got there and found out they already had the first semester. And, uh, oh, I was so disappointed. But the, the, the register told me to go talk to the teacher. Uh, and so I did. And he pointed to something in Hebrew and asked me if I knew what would happen there. And I said, yes, there's compensatory heightening there because of the change uh, of uh, 
of the, it doesn't use the root form, he said, you're in. <laughs> and so I took that course and that helped me quite a bit. And then I took courses at Hebrew Theological College in Skokie. I was going to Great Lakes with a bunch of Orthodox Jews. I learned script. I learned Sephardic. <laughs> and uh, I did all this not with the idea of starting a seminary, but the idea that I just was very dissatisfied with my ability to understand the scriptures the best I could. And so I... I saw that really, it really helped change my ministry. And then somewhere in the, in the, the uh, 1960s, the late 1960s, I thought, hey, you know, this is what we should be doing in seminary. It, it isn't a matter of, of how to do this and that. It's how to understand God's word. And so... Um, I took courses here, there, and yonder as I could in the Navy. Um, and uh, we then started putting together this property here in the 60s. Um, and my last duty in the Navy was the Merchant Marine Academy on Long Island. And two years before I retired from the Navy... I got Fridays off because I had to be there on Sunday, and I taught in a school in Philadelphia. And um, then also in the summers, we could get a month off. We came out here and we started building, 72. Wow. Without loss, this would never yeah. have been possible. So I think that's really good to bring out when we talk oh, about... Really? Uh, no, 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 absolutely. Two things, without loss, and finally after that started, I found out we needed other people for fin for finances. Yeah. And um, we, and it's been contributors to the seminary that have really made it possible. This is, you can't do this as a lone wolf. One of the things that we had been talking about before before we started recording was Dwight taught himself uh, how he taught himself the original languages to a certain degree. He was doing his own studies. He was going through and learning Greek and Hebrew, and then he took some classes here and there, and that kind of helped him start to realize the necessity of the languages and in, in uh, understanding God's word. But Lois, you've studied out some of the languages too, isn't that right? Yes, that's right. So, uh, what do you guys? What would be some of your thoughts regarding the importance of understanding the original language. Um, Lois, we can maybe start with you. What, what are some thoughts that you would have regarding the importance of understanding the original languages? I think it's because if a student studies hard enough um, and slowly enough on each verse, he's able to get the real message and be able to then preach it better by seeing what the I mean, just concentrating on the, and not depending on somebody else's translation. Right. Yeah, that's really good. Dwight, do you have any, any thoughts on the importance of understanding the original? Yes, language? you can understand it more fully as it was originally, as the Holy Spirit intended when it was inspired. 
Yep. And, and one of the quotes that has, that uh, tends to float around the seminary, um, and I think it's, I think it's yours, uh, is you talk about seeing uh, scripture in black and white versus color. Can you kind of describe what, yes. what that means? Uh, yeah, the difference between understanding the scripture as uh, without the languages is like watching TV in black and white, but then you, when you have the languages, you get it more and it's as it actually is in color. And uh, really, and you cannot apply it today until you understand what it meant when it was written. That is called the then and the now. You've got to get the then first and you've got to get the now. If you just have the now of the scriptures, you may sound very nice, but you really may be going down the wrong trail. You've got to find out what it said, when it was written, in the language it was written, and then you can come to the now. And the now part, of course, applies in preaching it, teaching it. Okay, and and some people might think that uh, studying the original languages has to do with maybe looking up a Greek word in the dictionary uh, and kind of coming to some some conclusions based on okay, so Strong's de- Strong's dictionary says that this Greek word might mean uh, one, two, or three things, and that's taking me to a deeper understanding of Scripture. Uh, but one of the things that we learn here is the importance of syntax and outlines and all of that. Uh, and I, we don't need to go into detail. Um, that would be hard to understand uh, as far as syntax and all of that, but. Uh, one of the things that you've also helped us see is that when you understand the original languages, uh, the outline of the text uh, starts to come into focus. Is that right? That's right. That's right. Very true. Not just word meanings, but it's also how everything fits together. And uh, you see you see what we call the syntactical logical flow. It's both the grammar and how everything is put together, and also the logic of it. So, uh, <laughs> uh, so is it safe to say then uh, that as you started to come to this understanding of Scripture uh, or of the original languages, is that kind of what motivated you then? That's to, right. Okay, because I, it it appeared to me that uh, that many seminaries you get. A little bit, just enough to make it dangerous. You don't get far enough to see how it is all connected together and then what to do with it when you get out. And that's why we not only have the languages here, but we have also a lot, pay a lot of attention on preaching, on how then you convey what was sent them to convey it now and get it across now. Yeah, that's really good. And, and uh, that's something that's been really helpful for me um, is taking what we're learning and not uh, falling into the trap of just having a little bit of, of the original language, which, which does what you said. It makes you basically makes you more dangerous because now you're starting to read things into the text that might not even be there. Um, but then not only coming to a proper understanding of how the text flows based on the original language, but then how to put that into practice, both in preaching and teaching right. and then living out your faith in general um, and, and discipling others to do the same. Uh, one more, uh, one more sub point, I think on the original languages that I'd like to get your thoughts on. Uh, do you see a correlation in, 
less focus on the original languages in seminaries today. Uh, we don't have to talk about anything in particular, but just as, as a general rule, less focus on the original languages and maybe um, less accurate preaching in churches today. Yes and no. There, there are. There's an area area in which yes, seminaries have lessened their requirements on the original languages because they haven't been able to coordinate their language teaching with their practice. Okay. And here in a small school, we can do that better than you can in a large school okay. because you have guys teaching preaching and teaching pastoral courses that have forgotten their language. Yeah. Here, we try to maintain a connection between yeah. both. Yeah, yeah, and that, that's one thing that I know we all benefit from, is having the languages directly intertwined at the same time with the preaching and teaching that we're doing. Uh, so we're learning how to apply it um, on the fly. And, know, many, and many schools start that way, but then... When they try to get teachers, they get teachers in the practical field. They don't have ones that are founded. And vice versa. Sometimes the teachers in Greek and Hebrew don't understand what the practical applications are and how this can lead to preaching and teaching. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. So clearly, uh, the languages, understanding the languages, being able to study out God's word accurately, um, taking what what was meant then and bringing it to the now through practical preaching and teaching is all at the foundation right. of why the seminary uh, exactly was started. Right. Uh, so, Lois, what are some of the challenges uh, that you, as a seminary founder's wife, uh, experienced or had to go through, especially in the early stages? of the seminary um, as you were, as you guys were starting to get off the ground? Well, we first uh, had only single students. And so I had to cook for the students that we had oh, along nice. with our family that was growing. <laughs> we should bring that back. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, so I uh, was only able to take about every third course because I had to spend a couple weeks accumulating food and getting other things done. And uh, so my seminary experience covered nine years instead of three. And uh, she, now, now she, explain what you went, what you got, what you did. Did you, what did I do? What did you, so did you receive your MDiv? Yes. I started taking Greek in Philadelphia before we even moved here to Colorado. And um, then we had a baby that kept me out of, class for a couple years and so then because I wanted to continue I thought I'd better do Greek over again so that I because I wasn't ready to go into second year Greek so I took first year Greek over again and um, with uh, my baby two year old two years old sitting under the a pool table we had in the classroom <laughs> and he picked up a lot of Greek, which helped him 20 years wow. later to go through, yeah. um, to go through a seminary and do very well. Andrew was nine. Our Andrew was 19 when we moved here. So he helped build the buildings and he did his seminary work before he went to college. And, uh, and that that's uh, Andrew Zeller. Who's um, we'll be interviewing. Mm-hmm. Um, at some point, and he's the the current president. And Lois uh, then, of course, uh, uh, took care of 
building this library. The library is important because we have about 18,000 books, and I try to keep it up to date, and if we get duplicates of something that isn't too important, we make it available for the students in a a book sale every July. Which we appreciate. Yeah, very much. (laughs) So our libraries continue to grow. So even though I wasn't trained as a librarian, I've had to learn it and try to keep things organized. What do you mean by, so she helped, you helped organize the library and get it all put together? Yes. And, wow. Yeah, that's because it's a, there's a lot of books mm-hmm. in this library. Uh, and I know that that's, that's one thing that we find very helpful when we have um, different things that we're reading through or different things that we're studying out uh, to be able to come to the library that's on campus and, and be able to look through all the, the different resources that we have here is a huge benefit. And Lois's father donated uh, not all of his books, but a large section of books here, which are not cannot be checked out, but can be used here in the library. Do you do you want to give us just a, a few minutes explanation on uh, who your father is and, and the role that he's played? I, my father is Dr. Gordon Haddon Clark, um, born in Philadelphia, and uh, he got a PhD from the University of Pennsylvania. Um, he taught there a little bit. Then he taught at Wheaton College in Wheaton, Illinois, for a while. And he wrote about 43 books, some philosophy and some uh, religion. Uh, he taught philosophy all his life, and he was also an ordained minister. And uh, when he, he died here, where you live, <laughs> and... Um, he, he left, he had given a lot of his books away, but mm-hmm. he left these from here through there yeah. um, because he knew the importance of a good library. And so he's got very good books. Yeah. Some of them have some notes in that he's put in. So well, so we're, we're recording in the library. And, yeah. and so the, the shelves we're looking at are... Oh, approximately. There are a couple, there are probably about 1,500 to 2,000 of his books there. So about 16 feet long of eight foot high bookshelves. Mm-hmm. Yep. So that's so, so yeah. So we're, we're privileged not only to have a, a massive library uh, here at a, at a seminary that, you know, has between 10 and 12 students. And like Dwight said, that, that small, um, the, the small amount of students that we have. Uh, allows us to be able to interact with the Greek and then take that to our preaching and teaching. So to have a seminary uh, with a library of this size uh, is amazing. And then to include uh, almost 2000 books of Gordon Clark's uh, personal library uh, that we get to look at and and, um, read is very, very helpful. And it's really a privilege to be able to have that available. Wish um, we had more time. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and actually, so one thing that might help anybody that's interested in learning about Gordon Clark, um, it would be, uh, Doug Dalma's uh, biography that he's written. He, Doug Dalma is a graduate of the seminary and he spent a lot of time putting together his biography, yeah, which, is um, right over there. which is available in the library also. Uh, and I know he's read through a lot of the books that your, that your father wrote and also a lot of his, um, personal books that, that he had in his library and, and just uh, getting us a better understanding of who your father was, um, which is, is really helpful. So I appreciate. Um, I forgot to tell you after he left Wheaton college, he went to Butler university in Indianapolis and uh, taught there the rest of his 
main teaching life till he was 70, and they wouldn't allow him to stay any longer. <laughs> so he went to Covenant College and uh, continued to teach and just gradually cut it down until he and he taught here in the summers. And, uh, and uh, he died in 1985, yes, on Good Friday. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah. So yeah, that man, that's interesting. So, uh, Lois is taking classes when the as you guys are starting the seminary, right? She's sitting in and taking the classes, working towards her MDiv. And Dwight, you are um, teaching. Is that right? You're teaching some of the classes. Oh yes, mm-hmm. I taught then the beginning Greek, beginning Hebrew, advanced Hebrew, advanced Greek, and. Uh, Several other courses. I did teach uh, church music. Uh, while you were taking classes? Yes. Okay. <laughs> so what I'm, I think what I'm starting to hear is that as uh, students now uh, that seem to be overwhelmed with the classes at seminary, uh, possibly get overwhelmed with Hebrew or Greek, we don't really have an excuse. Uh, because <laughs> you guys have basically undercut any excuse that I think we could come up with. <laughs> that that is really cool. So so while you're taking classes, you're teaching, and and Dr. Dwight is is getting the seminary off teaching the ground, and cooking, teaching and cooking, and has a two year old sitting under the pool table <laughs> picking up Greek. Oh, that that is a no. That's truly amazing, and that that's a that is. Um, that that's powerful. That that God worked through you guys to um, to establish a seminary, but then at the same time He was teaching you guys through it um, to to learn uh, what what we're not learning, which is, that's just amazing. Uh, what are some other challenges that you guys came across, or what are some other things that you both learned uh, as the seminary was starting to take off? What were maybe some of the growing pains that you had to go through? Oh, for a seminary, it, the finances were always a problem. But and I, and I very quickly learned that we could not finance it ourselves. It had to be other people, and so of course we had to uh, had to um, get a mailing list of people, and we've had some families and people who have been very good and very faithful in contributing to the seminary, so that. Approximately 80% of the uh, cost of running the seminary come from contributions, and that has helped us to keep the fees for students down. Which has helped us so that we can afford to come to the seminary with, yeah. well, I have six kids, and Andrew yeah. has... Somewhere between three and five, it's hard to tell. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, but I want to take a, just a, a quick second here. Um, we we never took any salary. Yeah, no, we've never also I never had salary from the Okay. So let's talk about that a little bit. So how were you supporting yourself? I was retired from the Navy. Okay. Okay, so so in the Navy and then this was post service in the Navy and um, and so that I retired provided... from the Navy in nineteen seventy four and then okay. went taught in Philadelphia for four years uh, full time while I was working on a doctorate. In... Okay. Wow. So, wow, that's that's really interesting. So, retired from the Navy, and then that allowed you, uh, it at least supported you enough uh, that you were able to not take a salary from the from the seminary, and that helped get it get it off the ground. Um, so, obviously, you guys have sacrificed a lot to to even um, 
allow the seminary to take yeah. off because finances, like and, you said, is always. And, and of course, we did our, our own building. Yeah. And we have our own sawmill. And that uh, makes it possible to cut the trees and cut them into lumber and get some Elmer's glue yeah. and put them together. <laughs> and they're still standing. Yeah. Some so we talked about that in the introduction, too, that in 1972 uh, is when you started putting some of the buildings together and started um, constructing some of the, the right. um, different and, buildings. That are and for 10 years after we moved here full time in 1978, we built approximately one building a year. Okay. And now, how many how many buildings do we have? We now? have somewhere around twelve buildings. Twelve buildings. Okay. Yeah, and that's a mixture of uh, we've got the library, we've got the lodge where a lot of the um, fellowship meals take place, the classroom, um, the offices that are all kind of connected to the lodge, and then there's singles cabins and family cabins, um, and shop, and the shop. Yep. So there's a there's chapel. a maintenance shop and the chapel. chapel. Yep, which is really cool. Uh, maybe we can post some pictures of the of the chapel. Um, in the show notes, because th- that is really cool. The being able to to um, preach and teach and then um, listen uh, to God's word being taught in the chapel is just a, it's a really phenomenal setting um, in the woods. So yeah, I really I and really we didn't that start having a regular Sunday service until sometime in maybe the mid eighties, and we started just uh, because we're isolated and uh, sometimes it's not easy for families to get out to service. We started having a service in the mid, mid-80s, and Lois has been the organist yep. ever since. Yep, and I, I want to come back a little bit and talk about chapel maybe, uh, but before we do, I want to take just a quick second, and uh, since we were just talking about finances and how much you guys have sacrificed to make this seminary, um, to kind of help it grow at the beginning, um, not taking a salary, building your own buildings, and even that, I mean, the... the uh, the idea that of being very resourceful um, and being careful with the resources that God has entrusted to us, that, that attitude is still um, first and foremost at the seminary when it comes to how things are done, um, making things work and not spending extra dollars where they're not needed to be spent. And that's one thing that I've really appreciated uh, being a student here is just seeing how uh, every dollar that's donated or every dollar that's given to the seminary is put to its maximum use. Um, and there's not wasteful spending. So well, I think Andrew could speak to that because he's worked very hard so that students can finish seminary without having a big debt. Yep. Because a lot of times students are finishing seminary with a $150,000 yeah. indebtedness. Yeah. And uh, they cannot do what they feel with it. They believe that the Lord wants them to do because they've got to pay off indebtedness. Yep. Yeah. And that, that's very, very helpful. Uh, and with the scholarships that are available and the low tuition, uh, it does, it makes it possible to graduate with either no debt or very little debt. Right. Uh, and also not to have to be tied to a full time job while you're here so that you can focus on your studies and get the most out of your uh, seminary education. Uh, and now we just, today we were just talking about um, there's an opportunity uh, for anyone that donates to the seminary. Uh, from between um, now and December 31st to uh, to donate through an, uh, a program. And when they do, their donation is doubled up to $1,000 uh, f- per family. So I just want to take a second to just let our listeners know that, that if you want to donate, if you want to help the work that God's doing at San Greater Cristo Seminary and build on what God has already established through uh, Dwight and Lois, you can uh, contact us at podcast at practically theologians.org. 
You can find us on Facebook, our Facebook page, Practically Theologians, or on Twitter, at PA Theologians. Uh, and we'll put some links in the, in the show notes. Uh, if you want to get a hold of us to know, to see how you can donate and have your donation doubled, uh, right now, between now and December. Donations are tax exempt. Yes, exactly. Yep. So donations are tax exempt. And right now they're doubled between now and the end of this year. So uh, I think that's a very helpful. Up to a, up to a thousand dollars per family. Per family. Yep. Yep. And what's the name of the, do you know what the name of the program is? It is? Uh, Wet Mountain something. Spirit something. But anyway, so yeah, we'll, uh, we'll put that in the show notes. We'll put it in the show notes. So, so you'll have, you'll have direct access to, uh, how to do that and the form that needs to be filled out. And that would be a huge, uh, way of the way that Andrew put it, um, to multiply kingdom resources. Uh, and so it's just, a, it's a really good opportunity. It's, it's funded by, um, people in the community that want to help nonprofit organizations. So, uh, I just wanted to take a second and, and make sure that we put that out there for anyone that might want to uh, participate in that. So we were talking about chapel and do you want to just take a few minutes and explain how does the chapel here operate on Sundays? Um, it's a, it's how, how does it operate? I guess we call it the Sunday seminary chapel. It really is under the jurisdiction of the board of directors of the seminary. Okay. And uh, we have a service on Sunday, we do not uh, operate as a full church. It's just a, a Sunday seminary chapel. We do not have a Sunday school for our children. We have a lot of children, but practically all of them are homeschooled. And so they do have, do get some Christian training in their homeschooling. So, but our, our on Sunday, our offering goes to supporting the seminary, and 10% of the offering also goes to mission work. Yeah. Yeah, that's really good. Um, and, and that's something that, that we have the opportunity to support um, as seminary students. And, and there are people that come from the community also, right? They come yeah. to chapel. That, that there are a few. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yes. Mm-hmm. But the people who come to the chapel must realize that we're operating primarily for the benefit of the students and have have a sense of our mission here is not self service it's student service yeah yeah that's a good point uh, so as the seminary starts to grow and students start to come through um, what 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 are some other challenges maybe Lois that you went through as a as a mother and a wife uh, were there any specific challenges apart from <laughs> apart from everything you were already going through as far as teaching and, and raising children and being in class, um, was there any particular challenges that you, that stick out to you that, that, um, that you had to work through as the seminary grew? I was just happy to do whatever needed to be done. And, uh, especially the music. Yeah. Because, uh, uh, let's see. I started playing piano for church when I was 12 years old. <laughs> so, uh, and, uh, in the military, I was able to play when we lived in Japan and in Guam. And just about everywhere that Dwight was assigned, I was able to take over as the organist for some reason or another. Either the preceding order, organist moved on or some for some reason I was able to play almost everywhere. And then when we came out here, I was the only one. So Yeah. I, I just loved it so much. It wasn't a ch- I wouldn't call it a challenge. It's yeah. Just something, like something that you were involved in as part of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we still enjoy that every Sunday uh, and Wednesdays. Um, 
when Lois is providing the music for us. On the, on the, so tell us about the cost of the chapel versus the cost of the organ. The, well, the, <laughs> the organ we have a we have a good uh, Allen organ. We bought it new. It cost twice as much as the building did <laughs> because we put up the building ourselves, and it's an A-frame that'll accommodate about a hundred and ten people at the maximum. Yeah, and. Uh, it, it uh, has wood chip floor, yeah, uh, which is not uh, the usual, but uh, yeah. And then it's got some big windows in the front that open up into the um, so that we can see the woods outside the chapel. Right. So it's, yeah, it's it's a beautiful building inside now. Um, so as we as we kind of start to bring the podcast to a close, I'd like to get your thoughts, uh, Dwight, on any advice that you might have for uh, maybe a pastor or a lay person, someone that that wants to study out God's Word but recognizes that they may never have the opportunity uh, to either attend seminary or to actually learn the languages themselves. Uh, what advice do you have for, or encouragement do you have for that person? Well, if, if a person is in a position so that they cannot learn the languages, even if a person can't go to seminary, they can today... There, there's so many good courses you could get and learn languages if they're a young man. But if for some reason they can't learn the languages, I would have advice, this advice. Use good translations of the scripture. Find somebody that can tell you what are good literalistic translations and memorize scripture. Memorize, memorize, memorize. Memorize it though in its context. Uh, if you can't do any, if you can't do the languages, that's about the next best thing. Okay. And how would you how would you advise someone in in um, finding good translations? Well, I think you're going to have to find somebody that knows something about translations to ask them. Okay. You you need to have a good literalistic type of translation, not one that has a lot of paraphrases in it to memorize, although you might want to use a paraphrase for other purposes, but for memorizing, ask you need to ask somebody that really knows languages a bit to give you advice on a good literalistic translation. But memorize, memorize, memorize in context. Don't memorize verses that just here and there isolated, but memorize them, what they mean in their context. And would you, I think you touched on this, but would you recommend that someone use maybe more than one English translation at a time to come to the proper understanding? That's right. You can use several good English translations. For instance, the ESV, you might use it, and along with it, use, uh, use another good translation like the, NASB, New American Standard, but um, a couple good translations, yes. Okay, and I think some encouragement for someone who may not see the opportunity to go to, to seminary in their future, but still has a hunger or a desire to learn the languages. Uh, like you said, there's classes that are available today that haven't always been available that make that possible. Oh, yes. And you were telling us before we started recording that you kind of started to teach yourself. 
uh, the, the languages mm-hmm. because you really wanted to know what does God's word mm-hmm. say in the original language. Uh, and I think that I remember you saying that, you know, you, when you're dedicated to it and you set aside the time to do it, you um, have to set aside time. There's no way, there's no way you can just learn it in your spare time. You just have, it's not spare time. It's really set aside time yeah. almost on a daily basis yeah. just and get by yourself and just study. And that becomes then a part of your study of God's part Word. Of, part, of your, part of your life. Okay, uh, so we will uh, bring this podcast to a close. Thank you both very much for everything that you shared. Uh, if you have any questions that come to mind as you were listening to the podcast, feel free to send us an email or contact us on Twitter or Facebook. Uh, again, uh, our Facebook uh, page is, pra- is, pra- is just the Practically Theologians uh, Facebook page. Our uh, Twitter is at P Theologians, and our email is podcast at practicallytheologians.org. You can contact us on any of those formats, and uh, we will be glad to uh, read your question and then run it by Dwight and Lois and get some feedback from them and then we can respond to you. So, um, And you may actually give us an idea for another podcast. Do you have any concluding thoughts? No, I don't. All right. Study, memorize. Right. Right. Yep. Come to San Grande Cristo Seminary. Yep. And, and by the way, uh, if you feel free to donate to the seminary. Yes. Yes. We run on a shoestring budget pretty much. And, yep. and That's right. The students really appreciate being able to come at a low cost and have housing for families it's a it's a great little seminary to come to in that regard but also the stuff we learn it's a very high quality uh, education so yeah and a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of people have been impacted the students and then the lives that they're now being able to disciple and work in um yeah the the work here has been very impactful for God's kingdom. The percentage of students going into the ministry from this seminary is very, very high. And that's we, important. Yes. Yeah. Most seminaries, the majority of graduates do not go into any kind of ministry. Hmm. But here, the, the percentage is very high. Well, just knowing the students, it seems like most of the students here uh, definitely have that uh Objective. They're here for a reason. Yeah. They're not here just to mess around, it seems. Yeah. And I'm an older student, and kids... Uh, kids you're not as old as this student. <laughs> no, no. I'm, I'm a younger, older student. <laughs> what, what are you, 70 or so? <laughs> 89. 89 and every Monday and Thursday, right? Uh, Dr. Dwight Zeller is teaching us Greek exegesis. Uh, All right. Thank you very much. Sure, 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 sure.